to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Holy buckets, buddy. It's been a week already. It's uh, it's exciting times. Um, No matter this pandemic or not, there's a lot of cool things happening, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, Sheep folks are going to be happy, but... Um, I am not one of those folks and listening to John Schroyer's story and his purchasing abilities is mm-hmm. absolutely intriguing no matter what species you're involved in. So got an, an amazing event scheduled for today. So speaking of events, Walton webcasting is capturing a bunch of them this time of year. Yeah, sure. Are. And uh, it, this weekend, this weekend in particular, uh, lots of boar stud tours going on. Yes. And uh, Walton Webcasting will be at several of those that I know of. And how sure. crucial is it this this year? Like, they should get a gold medal, which they were, I don't know if many seen, but they had uh, an award there at Summertime in Des Moines. Um, very well deserved there. But what I'm saying is, in a wild time where you, maybe you can't make it to a show or you have a health concern and you don't want to get out, well, Walton Webcasting is there to help you. That's right. They can make it look like you're sitting there ringside. But if you missed a show and you'd like to go reevaluate it yourself, you got the archives to search back into with waltonwebcasting.com. Subscriptions only $4.95 a month, I think. $4.99, something like that. Pocket change. So pocket change is what it is. OYLE, that's coming up here in Ohio. Every Buckeye's getting pretty excited about hey, that. Listen, the sheep show has already happened. So that's right. I don't know. I don't know where your um, your focus is drawn strictly to those four legged snout driven signs that you're so passionate about, which is okay. So yeah, there's <laughs> there's been a shift in uh, venue. We had to go from yep. Pickaway County to Dark County, so still excited about that beautiful facility no. there. But uh, yeah, sheep no. and goat show I, I heard was amazing. Yeah, I I saw some backdrop pictures, uh, very very well represented um, sheep and goat rings there uh speaking of that congratulations uh to the schroyer family <laughs> yeah uh when winning the goat show what a deal it's a heck of Pretty a deal cool stuff there uh, and to have john on today obviously that uh when we recorded that show had not taken place yet so uh but yeah by the way i hope people enjoyed our picture that we posted to promote <laughs> Our yes. uh, guest today, good stuff. So I, I most certainly did. Yes, I wish we could have screen recorded that whole conversation just because, um, <laughs> some of the poses that uh, John was making in the background was pretty funny. On the beach, yeah. virtual beach. Yeah. Um, might I add, speaking of events in Walton, there is one that folks, uh, you've got. 24 hours. No, more than that. I'm not sure. When do the entries close? Thursday, the 30th. Yeah, so you do have 24 hours. You have 24 hours to submit your entries to a new opportunity to be involved on Walton Webcasting, and that is through the Perina Show Camp, the Feed Greatness Show Camp Cyber Stock Show Style via Walton webcasting Trevor and I will be in studio there at Walton commentating and, and helping to uh, 
get the the show moving and we're very excited it's open to sheep swine cattle and goats uh feel free to re-upload videos if you've already submitted videos uh, from previous cyber shows um to learn how to improve for the next one so if you already have a video recording the work's already been done for you yeah uh if not you you've got all you know um several hours left to get one submitted so here's how it works you're going to record a video of your show animal uh you will visit um several sites to to see the link for uh submission there and then you can watch live on august 4th to receive nutrition and management advice from team purina to prepare for your next show i don't know that that's been done before i don't think so in a in a cyber setting so that's pretty neat um, Purina experts, Mark Johnson, Kirk Steerwalt, and Mike Whitty will be available. And, uh, we're, we're pretty pumped to, to be involved with those experts. And I think you should too. So make sure that, uh, you get those entries submitted by Thursday, July 30th and, uh, Purina team, stock talk, Walton webcasting. We're all working together to bring you a unique event. Yeah. Kind of pumped about it. Cause it's. It's totally different, and what's going to happen, we're just going to kind of talk about your animal, and, um, you know, sometimes we get a little barn blind, whether we like to admit it or not, and it's always good to have a third-person perspective, kind of look at your animal, seeing what maybe needs to be done before showtime, so that's what it's there for. Speaking of showtime, we have Show Cattle Connection, a huge part of Stock Talk Podcast, and... Uh, I know that people probably get a little bored here uh, talking about these things, but you shouldn't be because here in the end of August, we're getting really heavy into some incredible sales. Mm -hmm. And if you have any question on the buying end, you need to look at the list of people that's there to help you representing Show Cattle Connection. Guys, the highest quality animals walk through that network there at Show Cattle Connection. You should see some of the champions that they've already had in a very young company. So Show Cattle Connection is the way to do it. ShowCattleConnection.com if you're buying and or selling your show cattle. Couldn't agree with you more, Trevor, not just because that they're a partner on the podcast. I just think they're they know what they're doing. It's good, nice. Good nice folks. Start. Yeah, great folks. Man. So uh, sh- should we save it for later in the episode or should we let them know about uh, a project that, that we've no, been I can't wait any longer. And okay. and we're we're uh, we've been holding out on a, on our loyal uh, listeners. Literally, literally, probably for six months. It's been a okay. We've probably had what six meetings, at yeah, least. At least. And at least. the last one we had was two hours long. So. Yeah. So here's what's happening, folks. We've been talking about this new apparel line forever, and our store has been empty and out of stock for I don't know how long. But for good reason. We need to make room for a new store that's coming via our great friends at Fierce Threads. But the Stock Talk apparel line that's coming out is miles and miles and miles bigger and better than what you've seen in our store so far. Not just slapping logos on shirts anymore. Which they they, they were cool. Don't get me wrong. Love the work that... And we will still probably have some of that. Yeah, but holy cow. I mean, holy buckets, holy buckets, next level, next level stuff. Folks, the stock talk apparel line 
is scheduled to launch next Tuesday, August 4th. Scheduled to launch. Now, if it's not launched by then, don't hate us. It just might be a few more days. Yes. But it is scheduled to launch August 4th and will be open for two weeks. So go rob a bank. (laughs) Go ask your mom and dad for money or your grandparents or go and sell some livestock to to have a little extra spending cash because you're gonna want it. This this is this is launch number one of an incredible apparel line to come. And we could not be more excited to bring you the latest and greatest, maybe some different things that you've never seen before. Yeah, they're definitely different. We get rid of the box, like our friend Jace Tarbell says. Don't think outside of the box because you shouldn't be in a box to begin with. That's right. So uh designs by TM and D. Screen printing, embroidery, and apparel ordering through the one and only Fierce Threads. And, uh, oh. <laughs> I, I know it, it probably sounds lollygag because, uh, you know. My brain's spinning picturing what all we've come up with, and there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's warm weather. There's cool weather. There's cold weather. There's, you know, for the for the show dad, for the the show kid for for grandma just person, for just the just the person that wants to wear fashionable clothing yeah <laughs> so awesome like I, i'm we might as well do the jace tarbell tarbell marketing design head now because when you work with a guy that talented he throws stuff together and you're like holy cow that's awesome it's not like you have to go to him with a perfect sketch of what you want the guy's talented and mm-hmm. you ju- he he has the way to maneuver logos and graphics and everything into position that grab your attention and they look stylish and we have uh the Stanleys Jenna Stanley is very 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 talented when it comes to materials and apparel so we kind of got a dream team working with us here and I'm telling you it, it, you could too rather your uh startup company or one that's been out forever you need to get a hold of Jace Tarbell, Tarbell Marketing and Design. If it's your first time ever, it's only 15% off working with him. And If you mention Stock Talk. If you mention us. And uh, you're going to get a lot of good products from Fierce Threads. You could be on the same track we are and as excited as we are. Just work with the same people. That's right. Wow. That was a good ad read, Jace. Sorry you don't get a monster truck ad read again. But, yeah. yeah. I, but you know what? It's so fitting and we're all to get it. It just happens all together like that. So uh, we just might as well throw it in there at the beginning because um, that, that it could be yours too. Now, we do want to mention Big Paul Lifestyle Brand because they are the sponsor of our Hats Off segment. And uh, a lot of cool brands there. I'm, I'm waiting on uh, a couple gifts to arrive at my house, gifts to myself. But I loaded up a cart there, Big Paul Lifestyle Company, and you should too. There's some uh, cattle. There's some pig. Working on some other species, I'd imagine. So Big Paul yeah. Life style company part of fierce threads or for those little pauls out there little pauls yeah Get you some trump shirts gear. they got it all yeah oh boy so we're breaking it no we're not breaking it down yet we are doing our hats off sorry got ahead of myself breakdowns later in the episode which yeah. you will thoroughly enjoy yes all right so let's do some hats off go for it buddy okay this music might be a little cheerful for what I'm about to do, but it's okay. We'll let it roll. Uh, my hat goes off to the non-complainers. 
the folks that don't take to social media with their grievances, the fi- the folks that don't make up excuses for why they got beat or why they, you know, can't control things that they can't control. And they just don't complain. You know what they do? They just move on with life. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of the non-complainers. And I can't say that I haven't complained before in my life. I absolutely have. And I think there is reason to be displeasured or upset at certain times. However, let's be realistic with how we approach things that could possibly make us complain. Mm-hmm. I could get a little bit more passionate about that, but I will stay off. My hat just goes off to you, the folks that don't complain. That was the grindstone. On trucking. I like it. Good one. It's a good one. This week, my hat goes off to the under, understanding parent. And this is what I mean, folks. If you're the parent that you have somebody helping you feed or breed or take care of your program, whatever, and although you just bought a new bag of feed that you've already half used and your helper, your feed guy, whoever comes in your barn and says, well, we need to go off of that and switch to this. Instead of feeding the bag anyway, you don't care. You go to the feed store the next morning, you get what was recommended, and you hammer down. Hmm. The understanding parent is crucial to learning and adapting to what we're doing. And then this is firsthand experience. I wrote this down after I left one amazing family's house. I was like, look, I'm sorry. I've got to change things up. They're like, don't apologize. What needs to happen? We want to win. We'll go get it tomorrow. I'm like, man, you guys get it. Now, I know not everybody does, and and it it becomes a little weary when it comes to finances, but I love the understanding parent. My hat goes off to you because it's been been not that easy sometimes, but the understanding parent, all in. Hat goes off to you. I feel like the understanding parent also is a non-complainer. Yes, it goes hand in hand this week. Uh, yeah, we don't tell each other what we're going to do before uh, on the hats off, so that was kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, Trevor, we are about to dive in to an interview that, interestingly enough, piggybacks off of another industry podcast that we are fans of uh, because genuine JBH just had on the owner and breeder. I'm sorry, the breeder of, of the buck uh, that is, that is got a pretty neat story names bullseye. Well, we talk with the guy that owns the buck that explains to us the buying process that tells us many stories from the road that tells us, exactly uh his thoughts and goals when selling livestock and so there's lots more to this episode let's just get right into it with an industry leader he's got too many sheep to count that's all right but we love him welcome to the show the one and only john schroyer Corey, I know you're a happy man because we're on the sheep topic once again and another Buckeye. So always happy to stay within the state of Ohio. So today we have Mr. John Schroyer. 
to discuss a lot of interesting topics that uh, we've had booked for quite a while now. So, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, you just got off of the county fair there and had a successful run. So we appreciate you sitting down for a little bit and talking about some sheep and your operations. So to get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Uh, yeah, this is uh, John Schroyer. Um, we're from DeGraff, Ohio. Been married to my wife, Lori, 18 years. We got we got three girls, Ava, Jada, and Nara. Uh, grew up in the sheep business. Uh, started out with the breeding sheep. Transferred over kind of the, to the weather deal. Um, both my grandparents raised sheep. We've got 900 acres here. Um, basically cash rent most of that out. Make about 60 acres of hay. We got 600 ewes, 225 nannies uh, that we're in partnership with Kedrick Miller. Uh, there's uh, there's always something going on around here. So. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's amazing. I wish people could see your screen right now. Uh, so we're we're on a Zoom call, and John's got the uh, the palm trees and the beach scene waving in the background. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, Corey, we'll have to get that picture posted for our listeners. We do. I just, I saved it to Snapchat. So if anybody uh, got a hold of my Snapchat last week, uh, you're going to, you're going to pretty, you're going to get a pretty good shot there, John. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this, this podcast really could go a lot of different ways just because of your history in, in the sheep business and, and where we're at now. Uh, but let's dive into the start uh, of John Schroyer in the, in the sheep industry. And so, so you do, you do the sheep thing full, full time now, right? I mean, yes. that's what yeah. were you doing at that time? Well, we're raising sheep and running cows. Okay. I was in partnership with Kephart. Uh, he was sending all them open cows to me that all those Myers. I had no idea you were in the cow business. Oh, hell at one time we had 150 cows. Wow. I still got cows. We'd raise the Grand Steer at Denver and Reserve Prospect Heifer at Denver, and in three years, I bought like twenty-four head for sixty grand. I mean, which was unheard of back then. I mean, that was Cadmus was selling all those six-year-old ewes, and I mean, God, it was it was it was fighting for them. I mean, they were just unbelievable set of ewes, and you'd set in there, and I mean, boy, they weren't cheap. But, uh, oh, I just, you know, how things have changed. I mean, that's like that year we sell, we sell out in 98 to, to do more of the cows. And I actually bought the Buck Disco uh, from Doc Wise the day I'm selling out. I sell 288 head of sheep that day and buy a buck. <laughs> 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 oh, it's classic. You know, I mean, but, uh, and we were one of the first, you know, we, we parted that buck out three ways. You know, I gave 2,500 for him. I, I sold three shares in him at 2,500 a piece. I mean, I was kind of the first, first guy to do that, you know. Jeez. I, Vince McGolden had a really, really good buck lamb that one year. Uh, same year I bought Rattler. Um, I give 3,500 for him. Everybody else, the whole world was getting 2,500. Vince wanted 3,500 and I bought him. The very next year, Joe Harold took every buck of his 2,500. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, I mean, as, 
you know, 2,500. Now you think Joe would sell 40 bucks at that. I mean, just to think your 40th buck lamb was worth 2,500, the same amount as the first one. Yeah. I mean, it's just wild how this has evolved and changed and, uh, you know. That's crazy. What's, what is the craziest change you've seen since you started? The, the price of bucks. Price of bucks. Well, and like, I wonder at what point, you know, a lot of them things don't sell publicly. Like, I mean, hardly ever do the high dollar ones sell in a public setting. So, you know, obviously you've got Sedalia and Reno and some of those, those big shows that have, you know, some high dollar bucks sell there. Um, you know, I, I can't remember a time seeing one bring six figures in a live, in a live sale. And is it because those guys, you know, don't want to take them out and they, they know that they could still get that or, you know, cause you see these big, these big pig shows and sales. I mean, you got some of them things. I mean, just in Des Moines last week, Yorkshire board brings 300,000. So when's it going to get uh, to that kind of level in the sheep business? Or is well, it like last fall at Louisville time? I, um, I was dealing, dealing with time and we bought that countdown buck. We give 150,000 for him. <laughs> the goal was, I mean, or the, he had to freeze semen. Well, the buck didn't end up freezing semen, so we sent him back to tie. But um, I thought he was the next buck. Mm-hmm. It's not the next buck we can't sell and ship semen, but I thought he was the next semen buck. You know, and those guys, once again, Troyer, you're fucking stupid. You can't give out for a buck. I <laughs> says, guys, I got 10 jumps sold at 7,500 a whack. There's 75,000. <laughs> Yeah, I'm only out seventy five thousand. Yep, half of him is paid for already. Half of he's paid for before I started the venture. Yeah. Well, that's not as big a risk if there again, if you've already got half of him sold or yep. you know enough semen sold. Yep. Jeez. So it it I think it's going to continue to get to where you're going to have to have either investors or partners. Um. You know, because I do think these bucks are going to bring, well, you know, the, the buck baby and them bought last year that Justin Nathan sells. They sell $250,000 with semen out of it in the first year. Yeah. Top tier. I mean, they're again, they give 75000 or seventy nine or whatever. Well, you triple your money in six months. That's not a bad investment. I, no. I would say so. I would say so. Now, now, I know they had some residual this year. I'm not sure they're going to. You know, I don't know if that buck will be a five hundred thousand dollar buck or not, but doesn't matter. They've made their money. I mean, they've oh, got yeah. enough money to go do it again. Right. I, I wonder too. So going back to some of your stories of like you guys starting and stuff, what was what buck at that time would have been, you know, if 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 that buck existed in today's world, you know what would have been kind of the one that everybody would have probably gone after? Cadmus 801. I tried, you know, they were running 800, 900,000 used then. I'd, I'd asked Joe Cadmus about buying that buck and he laughed at me. <laughs> and at that time, I'm a young 20 some year old kid that, you know, I didn't realize how many used one buck can breed. And, you know, now that we're running 600 used, God, I mean, last year bullseye bred 150 ewes. 
Well, I'd say that buck was breeding 250 at his house because they're they're lambing they were lambing longer and had more sheep. Well, you know, it didn't matter what you paid for him. You know that uh, that buck's making him a whole lot more sitting there breeding and selling him to some kid in in Ohio. And I'm sure he laughed at me, but boy, I thought I was doing good back then. You know. <laughs> Shoot. But, any other any other good stories from or anything back in the day? Uh, just um, that's like the player buck, which has been uh, he sells at Sedalia that year, and Joe Harold and and Larry to Spain. Uh, Larry had raised him. Joe bought him from Larry. They they bred like 130 used to him that year. He sells at Sedalia, and I mean. Hill Country wanted to buy him. Jimmy Johnson wanted to buy him. And back then, I didn't really want to tell everybody I was in. I've, I've got a real bad habit. If I like them, we're going to own them. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's a, just not a very good habit. <laughs> uh, Estes is from California. Mona Lisa and Ryan, they were kind of just got married, just getting started. And, and, uh, I told Ryan, I said, Hey, I need you to buy this buck for me. And he says, well, what are you thinking? I says, you got a green light to 50,000. And I said, I'm telling you, we're going to own him. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, we're going to own the buck. Just don't even look at me till you get over 50. We buy him for like 27, 28,000, which is, I mean, that's still a ton of money back then. I mean, but we've just been able to, to, kind of get the right place, right time, find them. You know, it's like joint custody. We weren't, we weren't out. I was driving through Missouri. We'd went, looked at the buck driving home. Dan Willoughby's taking my phone calls as we're bidding on that sheep. And Dan's actually bidding for me. And I'd say, I said, 117,000. And Dan's like, you're sure you want to bid 117,000. Yes, Dan, put me in. <laughs> and uh, it was just wild. I mean, because like I said, I was driving, so Dan was taking phone calls, and the buck's at like 30. I says, Dan, the son bitch is flying. Just hit him to 50. Just put the son bitch in at 50. He's like, 50,000? By the time he got done talking to me, the buck was already at 50. <laughs> I mean, just. And then he's like, you got to be 70. <laughs> I says, well, let's just wait till the riffraff clears out. We didn't start bidding to like damn near 90. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, and my wife calls me and I'm with one of my buddies driving. And uh, she says, you do realize that you're on a pair of bucks. Cause I know our buyer's number and you're at 142,000 for the pair. I said, honey, I think the one buck is the breeding buck and the other buck's the semen selling buck and we need them both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How long have you said you're married? 18 years? 18 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, crap. You know, and, you know, I mean, that's pretty good wife. I didn't say no. She's like, that's what you need to do. Just do it. I mean. That's a keeper right there. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh, so you know 
I don't get her bad. We've kind of always tried to try to buy the ones we like. They're just yeah. they're expensive. Yep. Hey, so, expensive taste sometimes in this deal is pretty uh means you got the you got the pretty good ones lined up. So Well, like the the one year at Sedalia, they sell God, what they call that buck? Jimmy Miller buys him with Levantini and Bianchi. And he brings forty three thousand, which was unheard of. Like a high dollar buck back then was twelve or fifteen thousand. And uh, I kind of had my guys put together, and I knew he was going to be high. And there again, Shell tells me Shell knows everybody, talks to everybody. He goes, "I'm telling you, you're going to have to be north of thirty five thousand." I says, "Larry, there's no way." He said, "I'm just telling you." You better round your troops up and get north of 35,000. And we run him to 42,000, and Danny Westlake's is selling him. And, I mean, this is like the whole barn stops at Sedalia. I mean, because we were like 40,000, and about that time, Levantini Bianchi was separate from Jimmy Miller, and they joined forces. <coughs> and... We only had three guys, and, and I couldn't get it through their heads. Guys, an extra two or three thousands at this point, nothing. I mean, right. we've already blown our budget, so let's just own it. <laughs> the press, the PR, the well, they didn't see it my way. I should have just went ahead and bid. We figured it out later, but I didn't. <laughs> well, they, Jimmy Miller and them, getting bought, and literally, um you know, standing ovation, they're on the front page of every sheet publication there is, <laughs> you know, two page spread. Cause they've never seen a buck sell for 43,000. I Dang said, it. we've kind of always been around the high ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's but, one way to do it. I'm, I, I really wish, uh, at some point in time, if that were to happen again at a live sale, you know, record breaking record selling buck, kind of thing uh I, th I think the front page picture needs to be you chilling <laughs> in a lounge chair with that background right behind you yes with a cigar in your mouth just yeah. and just with the headline expensive taste and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and that'll be it <laughs> no it uh i don't know it'll be interesting to see in the next 10 years you know where these bucks go where these bucks don't go i mean in Think it, you know, I think it's got to top out at some point. Well, like, we buy one this year, and I think he is the next bullseye. We'll find out if I'm as smart as I think I am. I mean, I give ten grand for him. I bought him out of the jugs. He was three weeks old. He is a good bastard. I mean, he's he's hit me as hard as bullseye did. I beat Greg Beatty to him by about eight hours. Um, mm. And Greg told me, he says – he says there wasn't that one that had all the hype this year that you had to buy that you knew you could sell semen on. And I would, I think he's kind of right. I mean, I don't know if it's a coronavirus or there just wasn't that one out there, but there wasn't that one that everybody just got behind and oohed and awed. And, but I think a lot of it, a lot of these breeders, like Justin Nathan's kicking himself in the ass for selling top tier, all of them. Yeah. You know, I think, Ty and them's done a good job of selling semen. They now keep half all them better bucks. Metalsworth keeps half. Tyson Rule keeps half. I mean, 
it's tougher to make that semen deal work when you got to give half of it up and they, and you still got to give 50, 60, 70,000 for them bucks. I mean, right. You know, I don't, I don't know where this thing's headed, but, but, uh, you talked a little bit just briefly there about starting in kind of the breeding sheep side of things. So, uh, what was, what was kind of the instrumental piece of you getting involved in, in the, uh, the sheep business? Well, I said, we, we've been in sheep business our whole life. Um, my, my grandpa Milroy had Cordales at one Louisville five or six years in a row. We showed the hamps and the suffix and honestly kind of growing up 10, 11, 12, 15, you know, I wanted to show more of the weather deal. So, uh, one of dad's buddies knew where a nice city used were in West Texas. And we bought hundred dollar used out of West Texas. Um, they were in, in today's world, absolutely started with the wrong maturity pattern. Those sheep took a year to get there. Heavy, heavy muscle, great maternal, big bodied, um, way too much muscle for up north i mean that guy bred tons of muscle and it was a learning curve at a very young age that you better have your goal in mind where you're headed (laughs) and start with the right genetics to get there because we did almost everything wrong i mean from the (laughs) get-go i mean that's that's just the truth you know and they were good use um you know a lot of guys had the impression that we started on top and we started a long, long way at the bottom. <laughs> well, so. we just talked to BJ Ike last week, and uh, he talked about the long game. And, you know, everybody wants the quickest buck and the, uh, the the first time to get your money back and all that. But it's interesting to kind of to talk to, to you folks that have had, you know, an experience to get started and then had to grow years and years to get to where you are now. So when you say those ewes were a challenge, was it just because the confirmation of those females that lambing was tough or what was the biggest barrier there as far as the, the challenge of it all? No, the, the, the biggest problem, those ewes were, were built for those lambs to be showing at 12, 13 months old. So we got to July, we've got these muscle bound, ripped up sheep that weigh 110, 115, 120, and they're just not big enough and long enough to, to be competitive. That's back when everybody had a Joe Harrell buck, and they were really big and long and racy, and, man, the blue ones were in. And we couldn't be farther, farther away from that. I mean, uh, I said it, it took several generations to get them bred to where we needed to go. So that's – that's interesting just because of the amount of time it takes to really do that and, and get a direction that you want to go. So you kind of probably figured out early on that those sheep probably weren't just going to work uh, the best in, in, in your environment, especially here in the Midwest. So what was kind of, uh, you know, leading up to that, what was the turning point for you guys uh, when things started to get real serious? Uh, what was kind of, what kind of situation were you in then? Uh, probably the biggest thing that happened is my dad turned me loose. I'll never forget. I was a 18 year old senior. You know, this is pre cell phone pre he gives me an Atlas. He gives me his credit card and he says, you need to go to Iowa and look at sheep. (laughs) He says, I don't care where you go. 
He says, you've been doing your homework. You need to get in the truck and go. There's no way you'd send an 18-year-old today without a cell phone <laughs> with an atlas. And, I mean, you had to call – you had to use pay phones. I mean, I, obviously, some people. But you had to call pay phones and, and set up your time when you're going to be there. And you had to call everybody from, like, 9 to 10 at night because some guys were in bed. They were tough to get a hold of. It was – it was a real challenge just, just to make that trip, you know, like I'm some of the guys are still in it. I mean, I went to Keith Berry's, I went to Brad Dale's, um, you know, uh, those were two of the bigger names, Harold McElrath. I mean, but it was, you know, I said, I'm a high school senior. Dad just kicks me loose and says, you know what you want to do? You got a vision. Uh, here's a truck. Here's a credit card. Here's my pin number to make the phone calls <laughs> and, um, you know, checked in the motel room as an 18 year old. I mean, it, it was, well, you just wouldn't dream of doing that nowadays. I mean, you tell that story, you're like, golly, that's almost scary now. Yeah. Well, what a problem to have. That's, that's quite the, uh, the story though, because like you said, nowadays, that's hardly ever heard of, but your dad had that much faith in you that you put in your time, you've done your homework and now, now it's your time. That that's that is very very interesting because most of the time, you know, the the boss, which in this case is your dad, wants to be that that into it and wants some of those decision makings, but and that's your turning point. So that's really interesting. Were those sheep out in Iowa that you found just different from the ones that you found in Texas? as far as differences and getting you back to where you thought you needed to be, or as far as Midwest, I guess, Iowa compared to Texas, what were the comparisons there? Yeah, those sheep were a lot bigger, taller, longer, prettier, smoother. They weren't near as radical in their hips or butts, but, you know, back, back in, you know, late eighties, early nineties, you want to length the side, length the loin, length the front end, you know, and we're still showing with butt wool back in. I mean, they're again kind of throwback how long this has been. You didn't have to have a big butt. You're just going to trim a little wool in them. And they all had nice butts with a little bit of wool on them. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> so, and then, you know, from there, we kind of transitioned into, you know, making that um, in college. You know, there'd be two or three of us flying there to Oklahoma City and we'd, we'd drive. I mean, it's crazy back then. We'd go to 16, 17 places in less than three days. We'd drive like 1,600 miles. We'd go clear to Texas, like to, to Doc Wise's and make the whole trip through Oklahoma. And I mean, you literally went and saw everybody's sheep, and then you'd call them back after the trip. We'd kind of talk them and rank them and what this could do and that could do. And and then you'd try to buy your buck after the end, end of the trip and – a lot of times how things have changed, that would usually be the second weekend in, in March. And, like, a ton of the northern guys was down there that weekend. I mean, so as you're flying out, kind of everybody's kind of comparing notes, but no one's called anybody back and bought it yet. So they're, <laughs> you know, they're still your groups. And nobody wanted to, oh, everybody had a nice set, you know. So it was, you know, and then it. Then you started going the first weekend in March, and it just continued to get earlier and earlier and faster and faster. Yeah, so. that's that's the environment then versus now. Obviously, 
a little bit easier uh, with a GPS and a cell phone to get a hold of somebody. But you know, the the environment of shopping to find breeding pieces and and whether that be used bucks or, or whatever uh, is really a. It, it, I think it's so much probably more competitive now because everybody wants to be in there uh, as soon as those things hit the ground and. And, and it, it probably just gets a little bit more challenging from that aspect. And, and I guess that kind of leads us into to our next topic here is, is uh, a, a buck that nobody probably ever heard of uh, doesn't really have very many females on the ground or sons. Uh, but, but one that you found uh, called bullseye, <laughs> I'd say that guy's probably made a big, biggest impact on, on this industry in the last three years uh, as any buck probably we've seen. Uh, let, let's let's talk about the bullseye story because uh, to find to find something like that in this industry uh, and, and why Brad Amthar decided it was a good idea to let that one go is beyond me. But <laughs> uh, but uh, you know obviously uh, we got to know the story behind that sheep and and kind of how that got started and and maybe what he's done since then for those sh- uh, non sheep people that listen to this show. Bullseye deal. Um, kind of has been once in a lifetime deal, you know, kind of same deal. We went out about the 20th of February. We make our rounds. We go through Iowa, we go through Oklahoma. Uh, we come back and like when I walked in Brad's barn, this buck's a yearling buck. And it was like, holy shit. Here he is. Like, I mean, like halos over the top of him and stars. (laughs) He was, he was that much better that everything else at that time actually still is. I mean, just, he was ahead of his time. Um, it also helps. I mean, we had raised a mom, Brad had bought the mother from us. So I knew what the mom's genetics was. I knew, you know, you families and we're, we're big on you families and what they've done. So, you know, I finally, I went to Heath Williams. Brad's like, well, there's, there's a set of lambs out of him up there at Heath. So we drove up to Heath, like the oldest lamb's two and a half weeks old. I mean, you know, got grooves down her tops but and got milk fat, but that's that's literally about all you can tell. There was, God, I don't know if there was 30 head on the ground. I mean, there wasn't very many. We kind of went through them, and they were all consistent. There wasn't any throwaways. And uh, probably my biggest mentor I talked to is Larry Shell. Talked to him about every day. And I just, I called Shell and said, hey, I found one. And I said, I need to buy him. He goes, well, what are you thinking? I said, I, I see, you know me, I just think I got to own him. He goes, I kind of figured that. And, uh, you know, I said, I just, I don't know what to offer him. Like, he doesn't want to sell him. And we kind of talked a little bit. At that time, the high buck lambs were about sixty to 65000 is what they were bringing that spring. Um, and I just called Brad up. I said, Brad, I think I need this piece. I think he's the one. I said, uh, and I want you to know I'm serious. I said, I'll, uh, I'll give you 40000 for him, which is, I don't care who you are. That's still a chunk of money yeah. right out of the gate. Yep. You're not bidding. You're not. That's just opening bid. And, uh, Brad's like, well, let me let me think about this. And Brad's a banker, so everything's got a dollar. And, I mean, he's, he's real methodical on this. I'm more, let's shoot from the hip and let's get this done. And 
Um, I actually had six units of bulletproof flush quality, and I, which is the Sire Bullseye, and I am the only one that has that semen. Everybody else, either tanks went bad or they had already used it. So Brad wanted to flush the mom back the same way. So we start haggling, hey, I need four units of semen. I said, Brad, what about two units of semen? You know, long story short, he got a semen. There was um, four sisters that year out of Bullseye's mom. I got the second pick. We land on 75000 I don't know how or why. Brad wanted to build a new barn. <laughs> I think I built him a pretty dang nice <laughs> new barn. And, um, you know, all those guys are like, boy, you're stupid. You give 75000 for a buck. You give 75000 for a buck. I can't believe you give 75000 for a buck. And I'm like, I got 200 units of semen. I've seen lambs out of him. The buck's grown up. I know I can breed 150, 200 ewes to him. You know, everybody wants to buy the buck lambs, but we don't know if they're any good or not. We don't know if they're uh, going to settle ewes. We don't know if the lambs are any good. I thought it was kind of a good buy at the time. I mean, it was a lot of money. Um, but like I said, it's out of one of our ewes. And I laughed. I, I asked, joked with Brad. He sells the mother this year. I think she brings 9000 And uh, he definitely turned a profit on her, too. Huh. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just, it's just funny the way things work out. That first year at Iowa, they have, like, um, Grand and – in the 4-H show and reserve in the FFA show. And everybody in Iowa that had an AI'd had to have semen that year. <laughs> <laughs> so we got off lucky that the very first crop of those 30 lambs that, that Heath had, I mean, they went out there just just donkey stomped them. I mean, they really, really hit the show ring hard and they had a different look to them, a different muscle pattern. And, and that was kind of the start of, Hey, bullseye is for real. John's not crazy. Those sheep are going to win. Um, and then that was the start. Of everybody kind of wanting to buy semen, and then it's just it's just gotten better. I mean, we've 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 sold a million dollars worth of bullseye semen. That's that's wild. Uh, he, it, I don't know of any other buck, and and I may be wrong, but from that standpoint, has there been a million dollar buck before selling semen? And maybe there has, but they don't come very often. That I know of the only other buck that is either has reached there or, or is over would drop. be drop like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you want, again, once in a lifetime kind of deal with him. But I think what's really cool is, is not only the people that have, have used semen on that buck, um, but you just hear stories about how invaluable the females are. Uh, just consistent, uh, good sheep. But I think the story on bullseye is so neat because a, in, in the sheep industry, we don't, we don't see those, we don't see those things happening very often. It, it's not, it's a lot different than, you know, you get a, uh, you know, a record breaking or, uh, you know, a boar that sells for, uh, you know, six figures or something like that. And, you know, they, they may make their money back on him pretty quick, but uh, to do that on a, on a buck land or, you know, yearling buck is just, you know, unheard of uh, in this business. So. No, I do have a, a follow-up question with that. And, and you had the extreme advantage to see 30 little lambs out of that buck already that 
really had a big play on your purchase. So if you didn't see those, but you saw the buck, would you still been that hyped up or did, did his crop really emphasize how good he was going to be? And that was what the selling point was. Um, that's tough to say. We've always been probably extremely, extremely aggressive in everything we've done. Um, like we were contending at joint custody at 117,000, huh. uh, the Brian Johnson bucks. So we've always kind of tried to be where the better livestock is and try to own it. If we can, we can afford it. Um, the lambs didn't hurt. I promise you, they were all good, but I, that buck, um, in fact, we were going to take him to Iowa this year and to Willoughby sales, um, as a four-year-old, I mean, he, he looks like a 200 pound show weather. <laughs> I mean, we were going to put him on display and kind of show him to people that hadn't seen him. Uh, the guys that still come in and see him, I mean, he's still straight topped. His legs are still underneath him. I mean, the picture does not do that bucks justice. I mean, I've got a couple uh, videos that, that we've taken through the years. The first year, um, Ellibrox used him. They wanted to see a video of him. We took a video. Um, and kind of like the testament, um, Keith Berry bought semen again. This is the third year Keith Berry's bought semen. And, uh, you know, most of those guys will tell you, buying 30 to 50 units repeat third year in a row just doesn't happen, unheard of. Yeah. But the, the the quality of that buck, just when you walked in and visually saw him, I mean, it just I'm telling you, it just blew you away. Yeah. I mean, how? What do you think the timeline looks like on a buck like that? I mean, you you get some of these, it, the show pick deal is so different, the the cattle world is so different. I mean, some of these sheep guys, you get past three or four years on these bucks, and they're starting to go out of style, or they're looking for the next piece. How timeless do you think bullseye can be? Uh, I mean, I think we're always still looking for the next piece, but I think I think where he's probably got his, his spot right now and, and still relevant, current, um, so many guys have used these hemp bucks that their hides maybe wasn't quite right and they're a little jammed up, and he's been able to extend those hemp views, help their hide and their touch, and kind of shallow them up. And at the end of the day, those sheep feed extremely well. You know, the, the, the kid that's got a 1,000, 2,500 that just needs a just a good feeding sheep that's going to get better every day, that's what those bullseyes do. You know, you don't have to be a mastermind with a feed bucket to go feed one of them. Mm-hmm. Basically getting fat, and he's still going to be big racked, hard-muscled, and round-bodied. That's those yeah. are those good ones are easy to feed. You don't have to you don't have to formulate much. When they're good, they're good, and just the uh, let them eat and keep them healthy. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounds like when Heidi Anderson is catching ears, or she's behind the camera. Bang, 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 bang. Like, oh, stretch it, pull it. Yeah, she is also like that. If she's picturing you at the Iowa State Fairgrounds for a photo shoot that you uh, <laughs> regretfully had to wear jeans for in the hottest freaking week of the year, uh, thanks for that, Heidi. I was really sweaty. But, yes, that is true, Trevor. It's she amazing is. that we were as sweaty and as hot as we were, but she still made the images look incredible. Uh, I told her to make a fat guy look hot, and I think she I think she managed to do that. And so, not just sweaty hot, but like 
you know, <laughs> you get the point. She can do that for you, whether it's livestock at a show in your backyard with your family or at a wedding. She does it all. And folks, I will tell you this. Now, I will I'm gonna pause you there. She does have a lot of she has a lot of help. She has she a has big a team. Of, she has a great team. And let's let's not forget the incredible internship program she has. If you want to know more about that, go back and listen to her episode. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Heidi and Charles Anderson have one of the leading photography businesses in the livestock space and yet still manage to capture the most meaningful moments that happened in and around a show barn. So just make sure that you go to LegacyLivestockImaging.com. Check out her great work, and if you are not convinced after scrolling through those, some of those collections, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Hard guy to please, I guess. Must be. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Get a hold of Heidi and her team. Incredible work that they do there at Legacy Livestock Imaging. But now you talked about that Bucks buying experience, and I do want to take a step back before we go to our next topic and talk to um, the everyday buyer, rather it's the the first time guy out there wanting to purchase his first buck and get his thing going, or the experienced guy like yourself. What would you say is the blueprint? Uh, obviously, you got to get in the truck, you got to go look at those things and know where to go. But when you're sitting in your driveway, how do you advise those listeners to map out their experiences, which breeders to go to, and then? How do you pull the trigger and when do you know when to do that? I think the buying the buck deal, um, we use several resources to try to find our bucks and we travel a, a great, I mean, I don't know, we probably go to 10 to 15 states a year looking and our, our network is huge for the kind of the smaller breeder trying to get started. I would go find a guy that's been in it a while um, and I'm not saying it has to be the name brand, one of the top 10 big breeders, but guy that's been doing a good job raising a ton of good county fair sheep, or, or if you want to go to the next level, raising a ton of good, st- I'm not saying winning the state fairs, because I think a lot of that has to do with the really, really good homes. I'm talking to guy that might win four or five crossbred classes with four different families feeding them, or, you know, the guy that wins seven county fairs. around your area those guys have a program that that they can duplicate and help you reach your goals so you know if you've got a a really really good um where you can communicate with them you, you get on the same plan and you got a goal i think it helps you to try to uh him invest in your program and try to try to help you make better sheep um and there is there's a ton of sheep out there to buy we're not even going to touch on on this deal we won't touch on the ai or the et but um if just buying a buck you know i said i i would try to go to some guy that's established that you like what a sheep look like you like where his program's going um you know there's several guys i call say hey do you got one for me this year do i need to come look and they know what i'm hunting and they'll say yep you need to come look or no, I'd love to talk to you. Swing by. Don't probably have one for you this year. And you'll find that most of the breeders, if you just talk to them openly, they'll tell you if they got one of, of what's in your budget, 
what type and kind, what do you want to do? You know, you need a, you need a FF, you need a FD, um, you know, tell us what you want and we'll be able to, if we don't have it, we could probably help find it for you just because, you know, a lot of us guys just do this full time. I mean, we know we're a good age bucks lane or, or the buck lane we didn't buy. That's probably still there. That was a little thin that might help, or we got one laying in the weeds back here. I mean, you know, we've always got, uh, I think I kept seven March, March, April, May bucklands. It'll make, you know, like great yearlings next year. And that's, uh, you know, you just got to find a guy that works for you, that you're like your program. And, and I think that will, that'll help your search a lot. Yep. What about, you know, for, for some of those, uh, some of those listening at, at your level when, I mean, obviously when you know what you want, you know what you want and, and dealing with some of the folks you've dealt with over the years, they kind of know what you're after too, as far as, you know, the next piece or the next, next thing that's going to help advance the program or, uh, or whatnot. But, um, you know, when you're out looking for, for bucks, um, at, at that kind of a level, what are like a couple of the key things that, that you're looking for that you've got to have, um, as a part of those sheep moving forward. And I guess I asked that question with, with kind of a subliminal read between the lines thing here. And that is, um, where's this thing going compared to where we're at today? Um, probably one of the biggest things for me, and this goes back to my breeding sheep background. I mean, your neck set better be right. Your feet and legs better be right. Top line's good. And I, and I want your, uh, you know, flank to belly line to be good. And if we can get those major factors and not once I've talked muscle yet. Because I think if you could get them straight top, neck set, good feet, legs, it, you're going to be 85% of them right there. Just if you could have them straight and square for those kids that's going to go show those, those projects. So, I mean, I think we're, we're trying to make them a little cooler from the side. I think we're trying to make them just a half rib longer. And I think most of these sheep in the last three or four years, and I'm not talking the national champion, I'm talking just good county fair sheep. They've been just barely parallel. The better showmen have had to run them uphill just a little. Um, I think these judges, as this continues to get more competitive, we're going to have to run them uphill a little more. They're going to have to be taller at the point of the shoulder. They're going to have to be a little cooler and cockier from the side. So we put them in – and, and most of these judges are starting to judge them more in motion because when these lambs are stuck, they dang near all look the same. Because we all can use genetically about the same sheep. Um, or, or you can use the same sheep. So the only way to, to basically sort that is we're putting them in motion. And that's where you length the shoulder blade and tall at the point of the shoulder and level out of the rump, length the stride. I, I think that's... I mean, we're going to have to have them fundamentally sound as we continue to go forward. Yep. Yeah, and it's just like everybody says, you know, it's building on the foundation, and the foundation is their skeleton. And not to mention, muscle is highly heritable. So if you've got a buck that can get get them things extra stout, you know, breed them that way. And uh, 
but I don't know a supplement out there that makes a bow-legged one straight or a sinking chest one better necked. I mean, that just doesn't happen. That's the way they're bred. So uh, that's intriguing stuff. So, and you kind of, we kind of touched on this already, but the baby selection part is always fascinating, no matter what species, uh, you know, you've got to make sure they're built right. And so many times people really latch on to those ones that are little, little chunkier as babies are a little fuller. They look a little fluffy. Um, but for those inexperienced people that I help, I always tell them, just get them out of that pen and watch them walk. Because if there's any question about their feet, their hind leg, their front feet, whatever, at 80 pounds or less, then we've got huge problems when they're bigger, more mature age. So that that's all fascinating stuff. So Corey, I don't know about you, but, uh, we could go on the other side uh, of this topic, and instead of on the buying end, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that'd like to John to speak on the selling yeah. end of things. Well, before we do that, I wanna I wanna do touch just a little bit on, on selecting baby sheep, uh, and, and I think this is uh, it was kind of fun, uh, John. You and I met up this past spring, uh, just by happenstance there at Sloan's, and just got to kind of run through a bunch of stuff and. You know, when when you're talking about looking at baby lambs, uh, there's there's some people out there that just the genetic predictability of some of these sheep, uh, you know, it's it's not not strange to hear people buying sheep that are two, three days old uh, right off their mom and, and just kind of wait until those things grow up a little bit more to get them home. But, you know, from that aspect of things, um, from, from a buying standpoint, where where do where does it make most sense or how does it make most sense to approach the buying process um, for both experienced and younger families? I think the, the biggest thing for the, for the buying crowd, um, I would suggest you go see them. I know everybody wants to buy them online. We sell a lot of sheep online. Um, I think, I think the best if you can is, is be able to go see that animal in person there again, get to know the, the breeder you're wanting to deal with, you're wanting to buy from and, and having go through the program, you know, there's a lot of guys that come in, they want to see the bucks, you know, not just, Hey, it's a picture. I want to, can I see the buck, how big he is, how long he is, how tall he is, how do you think they'll feed, you know, my shows August 1st or September 1st or, um, you know, I, I think as you put all those parameters together, it sure helps your buying pro, uh, process. Like, first thing I'll tell guys, you know, they walk into me, they want to look at sheep. I mean, I've got a set of Decembers and I've got a set of February ones. And I'll ask them, hey, where's your, when's your county fair? How much are you, how much are you going to jackpot? And what's, what's your exercise program? Um, you know, are you going to treadmill? Are you going to track? You're going to show 10 jackpot shows. You know, if you paint me the picture, I could help you. Hey, if you're going to show 10 shows, you, you need a lamb three weeks older. If you're only going to your County fair, September one, we need to go find the February sheet. And undoubtedly I, uh, it's easier to buy the bigger, fatter sheep. But as, as a lot of these breeders get more and more sheep and we're lambing earlier and earlier, not everybody needs a December 15th. Um, you know, I, I think if you find the right age, 
it's a lot more enjoyable not have to hold it, not have to set on it, not have to exercise it more than it really needs just to set on weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the breeders want you to get along. They want you to win. That's repeat business. So if you ask some questions, um, they'll try to get you to what they think will feed for you for the right age and, and the right weight. And, you know, who's judging when the show is, you know, I think it's important to know as, as many of those parameters as you can. And then it, it gets just a little easier for that selection process. As no doubt. Yeah. I, and it's, it's a struggle for some of those families to ask those questions, but as a seller, man, you and a breeder, if you know those simple questions that you just laid out, you, instead of sorting through all 120 of them, you're now down to like 30 that are all good quality. But now that, that those are the 30 or whatever the number is that fits your, your target. And you, and it's huge. Like the, I want to touch on the jackpot versus just one target show animals. Uh, Cause this is all across all species. Those have to be monitored a lot differently and they have to be started out a, a, lo- a lot differently and fed differently. So when you know, if you buy a, a lamb that's just targeted for that September one show and you decide to drag it out to 12 different jackpot shows, well, now all of a sudden that's, that's one wrung out piece of livestock. So it becomes very different. And then when you get to that final target show, it doesn't look the same as maybe what we should have targeted. So that's a huge question to ask if the breeder doesn't touch on that already. Yeah, that that's, um, most of the people we help, it's not that they got their lamb too fat. It's the other way. They're one, oh, we decided we want to show more this year, especially this year. Right. When they didn't know if they're going to have county fairs or not have county fairs. And it's like, well, there's three or four jackpot shows and we'd like to go to it. That's not a problem, but we're going to have to change our feed and we're going to have to add some fat. So we got enough internal fat that you're not wrung out by the time you get to your county fair, you get to that third jackpot show. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of different strategies going on there. So, uh, Trevor, you were, uh, you were getting ready to send us into the breakdown a little bit. Let's, uh, let's do that. Cause I think when you talk about selling sheep. The breakdown brought to you by Brad Howe Ford and Kokomo, Indiana. Guys, it's about time to upgrade your truck or make the wife happy and just get you a new SUV, whatever, two trucks, whatever. But if you're going somewhere, you're going to Brad Howe Ford, Kokomo, Indiana. They know exactly where you need to go with their award-winning customer service. Thanks to Brad Howe Ford for sponsoring the breakdown. All right, John, let's talk about selling sheep because uh, you guys sell sheep a variety of different ways. And uh, I think somebody, you know, that's got 600 views probably ought to do that because uh, it's a lot of pictures to take for online sales if that's all you're going to do. Uh, but, you know, you got to get those sheep out there. So um, what are some of the different ways that you guys get your sheep marketed? Uh, there again, kind of depends on what age we're trying to sell. Like the setup, we're going to set up October's this year. Um, and I, very small amount. I think we put in like 20 eggs. We're just going to sell all them online. Basically that most of those sheep need to go West California ways. Uh, we're going to sell them online. We get to our, 
January ones, Christmas slams. Um, we're just going to sell them first come first serve. And then, uh, probably sell online. Um, cause undoubtedly with the amount of sheep we've got, I don't care how many traders come through here each week. There's a new set of lambs that look good. I mean, just the, the, the amount of sheep we have, there'll be one in the corner that no one found. Um, like two years ago, we sell like 70 lambs and we didn't keep a single sheep for Ava. And I went and found two thin lambs, nobody bought, and the one ended up winning the high state fair. <laughs> and and the guys that know, they're like, what pin was he in? I said, he's in pin one on a year and you, got a tough start. And they, most of them had him down. They just didn't buy him, mm-hmm. uh, uh, those better, you know, better traders. So um, we merchandise, like I said, a lot of different ways. We sell, we sell online, sell them first come, first serve, come get them. Um, and I think there's lots of ways to do it, especially if you got tons of numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pig guys have probably done it the best year. They only sell them when they're fat. Well, a guy's got 600 head. We got to sell them anytime they walk into barn. <laughs> right. Yep. Now, what kind of preparation goes into getting that set ready? I know uh, when you have that kind of volume, it's hard to target every single uh, lamb that's in that barn, but what would you say is the best practices um, for that target group or that sales set you're getting ready? What uh, kind of uh, practices do you utilize to get them ready? Probably one of the best things, we, we built a new barn here four or five years ago, and the way we got it set up, as you walk in, I can run all the lambs in the creep area. So guys aren't running through the ewes. I'm not getting as many broken legs, busted up sheep, sheep run over. So as you walk down through my alleyway, um, those lambs are right in front of you. Uh, a lot of times we'll kick, especially if I got two or three groups coming, we'll just kick out all the ewe lambs. So everything as you see them are all weathers. And then, so that's easier if the guys are just looking to buy. The other thing we do is we'll pin those lambs in the creek about three hours a day off their mom. And that'll just usually pin them in the morning when we feed and then let them out at noon. Those lambs are kind of getting extra feed. They're getting used to being in there when guys start coming to look. So you're not struggling so much. A lot of guys, you go, you tell the first time they've ever been pinned, all those lambs want to do is ball and ball, and they're hunting mom. Mm-hmm. Well, you come look at ours, and the balling stage is over with. They're used to being run into creep. You know, it doesn't matter if you – it's been planned for, for two weeks or, you know, we have guys, hey, I'm in the area, I'm an hour away, can you show me sheep? Or, hey, I pulled in your driveway, I'm ready to look at sheep. <laughs> <laughs> it happens both ways. So, to be able to run them lambs in, they're, they're broke to sort from their mom they're not going to ball that probably does as much for us to be able to show the the amount of sheep that we have to people um but terms of like prep work like when it's picture day i mean literally i'll go say all right we're gonna sell these 15 and i'm gonna find the fattest 15 i mean 
it's not a, oh, I've been sitting on this one for three weeks or, or I'm drenching. It's, we walk down through the pins and yep, she's ready to sell and she's ready to sell and she's ready to sell. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, that kind of private tag sale that you do, uh, that kind of both goes, um, you know, people got to show up, find the sheep they like, write tag numbers down, and then, and then you kind of sell those sheep uh, on an online uh, kind of private platform. So talk us through that sale a little bit and, and why you started doing that and uh, maybe what it's kind of evolved to. Um, so basically the way we've sold in the last two years, always before I basically have placed every sheep in the barn. You told me if you want to spend 500 or 5,000, what your goals were. And I walked in and I found what I thought you needed. As we continue to grow in numbers, it's so tough to make, to just get the right sheep. Some guys, well, I wasn't getting a shot at that sheet. So we, we kind of changed the way we were doing it two years ago. We basically had you, um, you could turn in any number you wanted. You weren't responsible for buying it. Uh, we started them at 2000 bucks and, you know, guys would come in, they'd write numbers down. And then a lot of guys would come in two or three times to try to make sure they were, they were seeing them and reading them as they were changing numbers were due by March 1st. So it's like usually uh, that Sunday, March one, they were due. They'd turn the numbers in. Um, we show on show stock planet platform. Um, Ryan would put them up and literally we just put a tag number and what pin they were in. We might've put Sire. I don't even know if we put Sire. I know we didn't put damn. Um, and then I would send the link to everybody. The sale would start at eight o'clock at night, opening bids 2000. And that's the way, that's the way we've sold them the last two years. Huh. And that's worked extremely well. There's no pictures. Uh, basically you have to come look at them and that's helped to try to get, um, you know, instead of the guy, why well, I bought the highest dollar one? Well, not necessarily the highest dollar one, the best one for, for your scenario or your situation. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they come and look at them. I think it helps us. One, we get a meter buyer. We get to talk to them through what we think will work, type, kind, situations. Um and just build that relationship that I keep talking about that customer relationship where over and over again, you're trying to help them, you know, and that that's worked extremely well to, you know, you know what the, what the basically the base bid is is 2000. And I basically call those my state fair lambs as we'll sell. We've been selling about 70 lambs a year that way. And then we'll sell the rest of them to our County fair buyers. And so my county fair guys haven't had to get in a rat race. I still help pick them. I still help those guys. But the state fair guys that want a shot at whatever, they can get in there, they can dig, they can beat each other up, and whatever they bring, they bring. So it's been it's – worked, it's worked extremely well for both set of customers, kind of the, the high-end state fair customers and the traders and the county fair guys didn't have to get in the rat race. So – that is nice. Uh, and it, it takes a lot of pressure away from you as a, as a seller, just because, you know, you don't have to worry about taking pictures. You don't have to 
worry about the write-ups or, or who's out of, you know, getting all that information put in it, it. And it is tying back to that customer relationship thing where you're almost forcing, I mean, you're almost forcing people if they want to buy a sheet from you, that's in that age group or that sales set, they got to come look. And I think uh, that's one of those things that you talked about earlier too, that I don't think a lot of people, um, you know, and I guess when I say a lot of people, I think more probably County fair um, target show people uh, don't necessarily go out and do. And there's some people that'll buy state fair sheep that, that sometimes do well uh, that won't come look at them and just trust a guy's opinion. But you know, that, that alleviates a lot of uh, management from you just, Hey, come look at them right down your tag numbers. This is how the sales setting up. So kind of a unique thing. I, I don't know how many other people do it that way. Uh, but something I, I certainly wanted to kind of talk about because I thought, um, you know, kind of this spring when when I'd learned about what you guys had done the last few years from that standpoint uh, was kind of an interesting setup and, and something that I think that works really good for you guys, too. So and I would have to say, too, not to cut you off, Corey, but uh, if a, if a person were to have to go see them, if that's the only way you get to know what that livestock looks like, you're going to spend an extra couple hundred bucks. Because you've seen it in person, you yourself know what your target show is and what you're after. Now, we all have that person that we trust 100% to go find the ones that you're after. But I let's be honest, if you see it yourself, you're going to pull the trigger a little further down the road than if you were to do it earlier. So I love that concept because you're probably seeing a little bit of benefit of those guys spinning a little extra because they've seen them. They have way more faith in them than just bidding on a picture online because they couldn't make it to Ohio. So that's intriguing stuff. I, I love that concept. Kind of splitting up uh, your groups there, but not to say they can cross over and, and get in that dog fight if they need to. So really cool. So yeah. that's the breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was good stuff, John. I appreciate uh Appreciate that and and you sharing with us and, and our listeners just kind of some inside info that you guys work with. And I think it just goes to show you too that uh, just because uh, John's a big stout guy doesn't mean you can't go up and talk to him and ask him questions. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm the same way. I'm sure I could be a little intimidating to look at from the sidelines too. I don't but, know, Corey. You're kind of a big teddy bear. Well, now that you've known me for you know 10 years <laughs> or whatever, but uh you know, some, I don't know, maybe it's the beard people are afraid of. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, uh, we're going to wrap up here, John, and, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll ask that last question here and Trevor stuck me with it this week. So, um, kind of an interesting one, one to kind of get to know you a little bit too, uh, towards the end. And, and we just want to know what are some of the biggest lessons the show stock industry has taught you over the years? Uh, some of the biggest lessons, um, basically don't, don't be afraid to, to go out and meet people. I mean, I, I've met just the, the network that we've established has been, has been unbelievable. Um, you know, we went to California two years ago. We met these people when we showed at Denver in 1988. And, um, you know, we still went out to eat with them. It's, you know, uh, umpteen years later, we're still in contact. If they, uh, just the networking you can make, learning from the industry, the, the people you get to know. Um, I think it's awesome 
the, the people that, that just industry leaders all the way down to uh, the little kid you get to help. I mean, I think nothing's better than 4-H when you get to tie that together with, with what we get to do every day. I mean, I feel extremely lucky um, of what, what the livestock world has offered me and my family in the last two or three generations and hopefully going forward that, um, you know, your buddies you're showing with kind of like you guys said, you met 10 years ago, now you're doing a podcast together and you just never know where this livestock world's going to lead you. That's right. Well, that's, yep. couldn't be more true. And, and it goes to show too, like don't burn those bridges that you really want to burn down in the moment. Cause you don't know if you're running into that person, the next show or worse yet, they're the judge <laughs> or whatever, uh, you know, and you, you can't afford to do that in an industry that, uh, is big, but so close knit. And there's people that cross paths through all species and they're all interconnected. So, I, I totally agree with that lesson. Yep. Awesome. Well, John, we've appreciated your time and, and thanks for taking it out of your busy schedule. I know uh, with uh, everything you, you guys got going on around your place, uh, I don't know how you, uh, how you've kept even a little bit of hair there. So <laughs> I uh, uh, looking forward to seeing how things end up here in Ohio uh, this fall. And with those kind of replacement shows that you guys got going on across our fingers, the, uh, the governor doesn't shut them down. Uh, but, uh, looking forward to, to that and, and hopefully seeing you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me guys. Boy, what an entertaining guy. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would enjoy, I would enjoy it. You know, watching John Schroeder trying to just get in and wrangle sheep. Uh, most of the time I think he has the girls get in and do it for him, <laughs> but the, the mental image, of John just getting frustrated and just trying to catch sheep. Yeah, and I would figure he's a point and have somebody else catch kind of guy. Yeah. Yep. That one, that one, that one. <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite parts of this episode was learning his uh, private tag sale style. Um, yeah, made a lot of yep. sense to me, and you don't hear that very often uh, mm -hmm. because it is true you have those – folks who are going after the $2,000 plus animals. And yeah. then you have some that, you know, we'd rather not do that. We'd rather go below that. And there's a different options. Uh, mm -hmm. Neither way is bad. And I, I just, it was intriguing to hear his thoughts behind that. And of course the bullseye story, that's pretty awesome. But I just, you know, the story of him, you know, telling his dad telling him just cutting him loose and letting him roam the country yeah. with an atlas and, and some, some, uh, some coins or, or collect call numbers or credit cards or whatever. Uh, I, I would love if there is any show parent out there, um, or any family out there that has a similar experience, let us know. I, I would love to know, uh, and, and I'm not talking about back in the day. I'm talking about now, how many, how many of you parents, feel comfortable to turn your kid loose like that at 18 and just let them go and do what they want to do in today's world. So that to me was a really interesting story. Cause if you try to think about that concept now, man, yeah. Uh, how, how many, how many of these young kids you trust to go get that done? <laughs> I don't know. He did it. I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was, you know, maybe I'm just biased towards our sheep episodes. Cause every time we record one, um, I, I get real excited and 
you know, think it's one of my favorites, but to be honest with you, uh, there, there's, there's a, there was a lot in that episode for everybody. I mean, it was funny. Uh, the stories were great. The history was good. And then there's some, some new concepts and things to take away from it that, that I didn't really think of before. Yes. Kind of like that. Good stuff. And, and I don't care what species it is, but when, when a mind like that tells stories like that, you listen. Oh my gosh. And the fact that, that, that he had, he had raised some of the most competitive show cattle too back in the day. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's just stuff he didn't know. And I, I evaluated, uh, his kids had some, some good pigs there at the open show that I did there in their County, uh, competitive showman at that. So yeah, just stockman, good stockman, good stockman guys. Don't forget, um, by tomorrow, you need to make sure that you enter your videos to the Perina Honor Show. Feed Greatness Feed, Show Camp. Feed Greatness Show Camp. Thank you. And you're on welcome. August 4th, we were going to head to Walton, Indiana. And if anything, it's going to be a fun event because you're going to hear all of us talk and discuss about livestock. So uh, make sure you send your video in to that link on our social media page. And... Brand new store coming out on also August 4th. We're planning to with our apparel line that we're incredibly excited about. So thank you so much. Your your faithful listeners are incredible. Week in and week out, uh, we, we see the numbers, and uh, you guys aren't going anywhere. Tell your friends about it if you haven't already because we want to hear you in every single show barn across America. That's our goal. And send us snaps. We, yeah. love, we love the Snapchat. Yeah, on there frequently. If we don't reply right away, we will eventually. We promise. So, guys, next week's going to be a good one. We'll catch you then.